In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. And today, we're joined by political reporter Patricia Murphy to talk about the very final sprint in a nine-week, it seems like it's been a lot longer, but a nine-week marathon here to the very end of the Georgia Senate runoffs. Patricia, how you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm, I'm, do- doing. <laughs> I'm doing. We, we are hanging in there. Um, not much of a Christmas break or a New Year's break for, for us, but we're not complaining. This is, this is a great time to be involved in Georgia politics, isn't it? I know. This is the show. You know, you always want to go into journalism. You always want to cover politics. And then for moments like this, and we're just lucky because that moment just keeps happening over and over and over. (laughs) That's right. And, you know, before we were talking with our fantastic producer, Bria Felician, about the biggest questions uh, remaining in this runoff, and we were a little glib, and I said, you know, the biggest question is, is who wins, obviously, uh, but then, but then you you added in a, a little wrinkle to that. Well, this is the this is the new twenty twenty twist on elections. Who's going to win and who's going to admit that they lost? You know, it's not over till it's over, and then it's not even really over in Georgia. So we, I actually am going to be really interested to see, depending on how close these races are, who concedes, who is willing to say, yes, it's over fair and square. Um, because I do think that we have a new standard here in the state of Georgia. Um, even when the election's over, it's not over. And um, a concession is certainly not uh, a guarantee at the end of, of any night these days. Yeah, we kind of wrote a story about that in um, last week's Sunday edition, just saying um, how the, in, the, in Georgia, the, the, the weeks of election-related turmoil that we're still we're still facing. I mean, as we tape this, President Trump has just tweeted several times with false allegations that he won Georgia, and he's actually even called for Governor Kemp to resign now, which is his his, his furthest statement right now. Um, but yeah, the election turmoil has not abated in Georgia, even though 
the elections now have been the, the tallies, the votes have now been tallied three separate times and a signature audit of 15,000 or so absentee ballot envelope signatures in Cobb County has confirmed that there's no there's not a single fraudulent vote there. So what we have been fe- facing right now might just be a taste of what's to come if the Senate runoffs are, are anywhere near as close as the presidential race in Georgia. What I think is so incredible about the events of the last eight weeks is that so much of what Secretary of State Raffensperger has done has been to appease the president and to answer the doubts of the president's supporters. And um, I think that his choice to recount, uh, do a hand recount on the presidential race, and then, of course, the machine recount was done explicitly at the request of the president. And then the signature audit that you just talked about was also done because the president has hammered him with so many questions about the validity of the signatures. And I think it's now clear, no matter what Ravensburger does, the president's opinion of the election is not going to change until the result of the election changes. And all of these steps that he's taken, one, two, three, a single tweet from the president calling him a joke and saying that he doesn't know what he's doing and he should be thrown out of office and that none of this matters. That's the voice that his supporters that the Trump supporters are listening to. And you and I hear that out on the trail day after day after day, this incredible skepticism in Georgia elections because of what the president has said and done since election day. You're exactly right. There, there continues to be moving goalposts. You know, it's not enough that a signature audit was done as Cobb. Now the president and his allies are saying it should be done Fulton. So it's, just, it, it's never going to be enough unless the election results are overturned. And even then, it won't be enough if, if that that's not going to happen. But let's say in a fantasy world it did, because the president still um, has not won enough electoral college votes to defeat Joe Biden. It would just be a more narrow margin nationally. And that that's why these, these Senate runoffs are so important, um, because it, it, they will shape the scope of President-elect Biden's administration. And we just... We're just coming on the heels of some major news in in these runoffs that not only is President Trump coming to Dalton on the Monday before the runoffs, but President-elect Biden will be going to the heart of deep blue metro Atlanta to drive out Democratic voters to the polls. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting uh, when when we found out that Biden was coming on the day before the election. To me, it is just such a Trump move to come on the exact same day that Donald Trump is coming. And it's such a high stakes, high visibility move. And tell me if you agree with this. I mean, I think for both of them, both of the men to come here um, the day before the election, that says... 100% they think this state is winnable. Um, but then also it puts such a piece of their reputation on the line. You know, you come in the day before and you lose anyway is a huge humiliation. And so there's a risk to doing it, but I think there's a bigger risk to not doing it. And there's been some scattered talk. There's been some leaks from Washington that no one down here believes that Chuck Schumer is saying that Democrats don't have a chance. And those have been disputed up in D.C. But down here, we're not hearing anything of the like um, at, at all. Um, Democrats and Republicans see these races as basically a coin toss. That's how close it is. Um, there's been few reputable polls, but most of the polls show a very close race. Um, there's been one poll that showed Democrats with a, with a sizable advantage that even the Democrats are poo-pooing. Um, so that gives you a glimpse of the, of the dynamic here. But to me, when I'm looking at President Trump's visit, and Biden's visit on Monday, more is on the line 
for Republicans doing those visits for, I think, for two reasons. One is that Democrats have, have built themselves a, a decent cushion in terms of early voting. Um, so Republicans are almost completely relying on on a surge of Election Day turnout to overcome that Democratic edge. And secondly, this is Trump's last campaign rally. He's got as president, at least at least president this term, right? Uh, who knows if he'll run for president in 2024. But this is his last campaign rally doing his first term as president. Republicans are wondering, what could he say? What will he do? Uh, will he help or will he hurt or will he do a mix of both? That just gave me like a shot of anxiety through my heart on behalf of all Republicans. <laughs> you know, like thinking about um, how much is going to be going through Donald Trump's mind, knowing that his time in office is winding down, knowing how furious he is with Brian Kemp as he lands in Georgia, um, and then having no idea what that means and what the president is going to say as a result. And you and I both know nobody knows. I don't even think Donald Trump knows what he's going to say until he's already said it. And so um, especially for Senators Leffler and Purdue, they've had to work so hard to keep Donald Trump happy and to support him and to vocally support him and to go out of their way to say that the uh, that the results here in Georgia aren't finished, that uh, the president deserves answers. Um, they have done everything a person could to support this president. And you still never quite know if it's enough the day that he shows up. And so um, they really need him to really kick up the vote, especially in that 14th congressional district. And you talked about um, the advantage that Democrats have built in for themselves with the early vote. The counties that are really lagging and the areas that are really lagging are those heavy Republican districts like the 14th where the president's going to be in Dalton. So they need that election day turnout um, and they really need him to finish the job for them. And it's a it's a very high bar um, just given where we're seeing the early votes come in that the 14th especially is really lagging. Yeah. And let's talk about both those things you just raised first. Yeah. The, the, the president's decision to go or the campaign's urging him to go to Dalton, which is the heart of the 14th district. It's in northwest Georgia. It's the district that Marjorie Taylor Greene just won. Um, and she's a Republican who's been uh, probably the among among the Republicans in Georgia. She's been most on the same page with Trump's false accusations of a rigged election, uh, which cuts both ways. Right. I mean, she's she's getting all sorts of kudos from Trump loyalists. Um, but at the same time, by continuing to propagate and push and promote these, this false narrative of a rigged election, the conflicting message that it sends to Republicans in her district who look to her for guidance, um, who, who might be thinking, and we've talked to many who do say this, who say that, well, hey, why bother? Now, she's, she's endorsed both, both Purdue and, and, and Leffler and is urging people to go out to the polls, but you still can't get over the fact that, that she and many other Republican leaders in Georgia are, are promoting this false narrative that, that seems to undercut the message to go vote. Yeah, and we've also seen that data from the Survey USA poll, and even the pollsters at Survey USA say the top lines are mm, nobody knows who's really going to win. They they do have the Democrats up, but of course nobody has any idea who's going to win. But they have an overwhelming number of very conservative voters saying. Uh, that the last election in November was rigged. And of the people who say they're so skeptical of the vote that they're not going to vote, those are overwhelmingly conservative voters. 
And that's the kind of data that you just hate to see for Republicans because it's just not necessary. <laughs> this is just a totally self-inflicted wound. Um, and Republicans are having to work that much harder to convince people to get out to vote, even though at the exact same time they're saying the last election was rigged. Um, so have faith in the next vote. Um, and even David Perdue is saying um, the only way to fight against what happened in November is to vote again January 5th. You know, put your anger on the line and, you know, put it toward voting on January 5th. And that, that doesn't make all that much sense. Um, and voters I talk to um, also don't think that makes all that much sense. If they don't trust the election system, they just don't trust it. Um, but it certainly has filled them with a lot of um, anger and anxiety and skepticism. And that's not really the the electorate that you want to have um, four days before an election. No, it's not. And let's talk about the second part of the, what you mentioned earlier, which is the, uh, I don't know, a tightrope might be a, a, an understatement. Maybe tightrope suspended over ice is, is better to, to, way to put it. But the really thin line that both Senators Leffler and Purdue are trying to navigate here when it comes to appeasing Trump, because they haven't acknowledged Biden's victory. They've echoed some of his false claims about, about uh, fraudulent elections. They've talked about every change they get, um, how much, how supportive they are of the president. There are some national stories early on about how David Perdue was distancing himself from Trump, which is, couldn't be further for the truth. Uh, they have, they, they don't have any way to distance themselves from Trump because they can't, they can't risk alienating his diehard devotees, um, especially before, uh, such a pivotal runoff where, where the, the, you know, a few thousand votes could determine, uh, the outcome. And we saw this firsthand this week uh, over Trump's call to increase the, 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 the payout in stimulus checks from $600 to $2,000. Now, Senators Purdue and Leffler were both um, silent on this for a long time, even before uh, the president's call. And over the summer, Purdue was even critical of it, saying essentially that he'd rather there be a, a payroll tax cut than any sort of heftier, more generous stimulus payout. Well, after the president announced last week that he his demand that Senate Republicans more than triple the, the stimulus payout, uh, we heard for days silence, just nothing from Senator Purdue's camp and only kind of a, uh, you know, a kind of in-between statement from, from Senator Leffler. Um, well, that changed... On on Tuesday, when both the senators went on Fox News within hours of each other and both heartily endorsed the president's call, even though I know for David Perdue, um, it must be painful because he ran as a deficit hawk. He's a fiscal conservative and his entire first term, his 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 first run for office was basically premised on the fact that he would fight. Uh, higher debt, which is what this will lead to, right? I mean, this is this is this is a, just a bigger payout that that future generations will have to pay back. I mean, Congress has already spent three trillion dollars since since last March on the pandemic and on pandemic relief. So that was the area of um, of objection for a number of conservative Republicans. And so you can only imagine. I, I was actually going through old clips of Senator Perdue during the last presidential campaign when he had not yet endorsed um, anybody before the Georgia primary. And he said, my only goal is to make sure that whoever the nominee is, 
um, really keeps an eye on on the debt <laughs> and the deficit. And now, you know, three trillion dollars later, here we are. Uh, so that really is the, sort of like the natural uh, the natural place where his opinion is going to be. Um, but as soon as the president said two thousand dollar checks and then as soon as I think behind the scenes, it became clear that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell is not going to bring that up for a vote before the runoff on Tuesday, um, then it became clear, okay, we can say that we're for it. We're not, not actually going to have to cast a vote on this. And I'm, I don't know that that's going to come up for a vote at all for the $2,000 checks. I think other Republicans will step in. So it gave those two senators the leeway to say, oh, and we also agree with the president on this. Um, the one area that uh, we still haven't heard from the senators, as far as I know, is on the defense authorization bill which the president has vetoed. There's going to be a veto override vote coming up in the Senate. Um, and that is the defense policy bill, the defense spending bill. Um, and for Georgia's 13 military installations, it is crucial that that bill pass. Both of the senators supported it the first time around. Uh, Senator Purdue's on the Armed Services Committee that negotiated the bill and created the bill um, and certainly would have supported it as well. And so that is the one area where um, that could come up before um, before the runoff. And they might be on the on the hot seat about whether or not to go up against Trump because he has vetoed that bill. Um, we don't know what they're going to do. We also don't know if they will even be in Washington to vote for it. So that'll that's that's TBD. But that's the one last area. But for especially Senator Leffler, the first line we've heard from her is I'm 100 percent Trump voting record. Um, and president and Senator Perdue says, Two people supported this president in 2016, and I was one of them uh, from the Senate. And so that's their message. And to go against that message in the days and hours before the runoff um, with Trump supporters watching is is really not something that they want to do. Yeah. And a reminder that about 700,000 military veterans live in Georgia. So that gives you a sense of how important this is, um, to, to, to especially to those those voters. Um, and let's talk about the Democratic challenges, too, because we, we focused a lot about self-inflicted Republican issues with, with President Trump, because going into this without Trump, you'd have to give the odds to Republicans um, because they've won every statewide runoff in, in Georgia history. Um, and the runoff electorates tend to be older, whiter, um, less diverse, which tend to help Republicans. But Democrats are trying to flip that equation. They feel like with John Ossoff, a 33-year-old millennial on the ballot with Reverend Warnock, the, the pastor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic pulpit in Atlanta, that they can get a new wave of young voters and black voters out to the, ba- out to the polls. So far, early voting suggests that's working. Um, it's hard to read too much into early voting numbers it's because who knows how much of that is just taking away from what would normally have been a, um, a election day turnout for, for Democrats. But either way, Republicans and Democrats have recognized that, yeah, Democrats are building uh, a cushion here. But at the same time, these two Democrats have mighty challenges ahead of them, too. Ossoff's work experience has come under fire. And just like from the, the beginning of this runoff cycle, um, Reverend Warnock is under intense attack for – 
any number of sermons and stances he's made over his decades on the pulpit and in public life that, that Republicans are trying to make sure come back to haunt him. Yes, and Democrats, of course, need to win both of those two Senate seats to um, to have control of the Senate. Just winning just one of them is not going to do the trick. They would love to win one, but they really have to win both to deliver on on all of this money, all of this investment that they've said they ne- they've needed to control the Senate uh, for President Biden. Um, and I, you know, I think it's always important to remember um, David Perdue won more votes than any of anybody else. Um, on election day, not just in his race, but in any race. Um, and he did beat uh, John Ossoff by two points and um, has won before. And so I think that you'd have to give him um, the advantage going into it just generically. Now, of course, he's had to just deal with such an unyielding amount of incoming uh, and and just uh, just chaos from the president. Since then, he has not been able to just focus on his message and neither has Leffler. They would love to just be talking about their achievements in office, what they were able to do, and then just hammer their own opponents. But so much of the many of the questions they're asked is is um, is Joe Biden the next president? Do you think the election's over? You know, they they really would have loved to have had just any just a smooth, um, predictable route to the runoff. But it's just been made so much more difficult by the president's machinations since election day. So I, I think that has just given the Democrats a little bit more of an open field than they would have had. Um, but I, I have to say, particularly the left floor campaign has just been absolutely relentless against Reverend Warnock. Republicans have just hammered him and dug up every single thing um, that you possibly could to go after him and have unleashed millions of dollars in attack ads. So um, that that strategy against Warnock, um, you have to think is going to bear some fruit. I think also because Warnock and Ossoff are running as such a combination, and they didn't really have any choice, but they are they have the same campaign signs, they have the same events. You have to think that people coming out to vote for um, one ticket or the other are indeed going to pull a ticket rather than um, rather than uh, just pick one over the other. Um, and so I think that um, as goes Warnock, um, so will go Ossoff. Um, but then, of course, they I think they'll also my, my last point of many is I think also they are really masterfully running up their advantages in the young and minority communities. They're playing to them very directly in a way that that we really haven't seen done um, before. Uh, uh, turnout registration constant 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 contact over text and social media so i think they are pulling out a lot of tricks that um other campaigns have not done in georgia before um it'll be fascinating to see how it comes out yeah look they need to they've got to um because uh they built such a a slim coalition uh, to, that allowed Biden to to win Georgia for the first time. A Democrat has done so since '92, just about 12,000 votes. And rebuilding that coalition is really tough. And it's even tougher for Warnock and Ossoff because Ossoff trailed David Perdue by about 88,000 votes. Um, so it's not like he came in with 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 already that sort of same pool of of voters that he could just rely on. He has to go make up that ground. And Warnock was one of 20 candidates on the ballot. And he was the top vote getter with about a third of the vote, but he needs 
he has to he has had to consolidate democratic support. There's no doubt that they've done that that they've consolidated democratic support. The question is whether or not they can they they've been able to rebuild the same very slim coalition of African American voters, white liberals, um, if they can reach that thirty thirty magic number that they they hovered around in um, in November, and that thirty thirty number is thirty percent of the electorate being African American and thirty percent support from white voters. Democrats have always thought that's the path to victory in Georgia. And in November, Biden hit it or hit really close to it. We haven't had seen final numbers, but but the numbers suggest he's right around that mark. Uh, and redoing that, recapturing that in a, in a runoff with such high stakes and with such a tremendous amount of money, we're at $800 million or so dollars being spent, about half a billion dollars only on TV ads. So uh, that gives you a sense of just how enormous this race has been and how difficult the challenge is for Democrats. Uh, but hey, close is, close is not enough. They need to swim both these races. Yeah, and I do. I wonder so much about what is going to happen with those ticket splitters that we know are out there um, who came out and voted for Joe Biden and in some cases voted for Republicans further down the ticket. Um, and then also what's going to happen with the many voters we know went to the polls just to vote against Donald Trump and just to stop everything he was doing. And some of those were Republicans. Um, are they going to come out to the polls and will they vote for Warnock and Ossoff? Um, will they have that same energy, that same just people's just natural impetus to go to the polls? They were so eager to go vote against Donald Trump. Um, the I think the Democrats have kind of the the larger charge to get those same people out and motivated for a Senate race in the same way that they were voted for uh, motivated for the presidential. And with that, we'll, we'll we'll leave it at this last kind of point here, which is that's why Biden's Biden's uh, visit is so important. Kamala Harris is also she's going to be in Savannah on Sunday, but that's why the the top of the Democratic ticket is so important too. It's not just about Trump's Monday visit, although they'll get. Tons of headlines for that. It's about those two Democrats making the case to, to voters who have not, to Democrats who have not voted early, who have not mailed in their ballots, that, yeah, you might have showed up in November just to, just to vote against Trump, but now you've got to show back up uh, to vote for the Biden administration's agenda, because that's what's at stake here. Uh, Republicans call it a firewall. Democrats basically say that Biden won't be able to get anything he's anything that he wants to get done, done without a Democratic majority in the Senate. So huge, epic, monumental, I don't know what adjective we want, but enormous stakes uh, for Georgia voters. And to, to Georgia voters' credit, they're reflecting that. That's why we're seeing 2.5 million plus people already cast their ballots, a record turnout for, for a statewide runoff. Yes, I, we know the stakes are high and we know that Georgia voters know the stakes are high. And so I think the turnout reflects that. The conversations that we have at people's events really reflects that. All of our reporting reflects that, that people are highly informed about this um, and in many cases highly motivated to get back out to the polls. Well, Patricia, you are the very best. Thank you so much for joining us. What a, what a great conversation and what a fun week we have ahead of us. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening.
Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.